a young girl sitting in a classroom flips out and starts breaking chairs. You may think she was just having some sort of episode, but when others went to calm her down, they begin smashing things as well. And then we look at the story of the Lords of Chaos. They were a group of kids who thought the world was out to get them. So they decided to strike first. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I don't know why I hesitated on that. The day has been great. So, let's go ahead and get started here with the first story though. This is technically, I think this is our back to school episode, even though school's over for most people. But I got two stories. We're going to school for these. Now the first story, let's hop in the Carpenter Copter because we are going over to... India. Now, this story is incredibly recent. We're talking January 31st, 2019. We're in the town of Bitmal, Bitmatal, India, is where we're talking about. Bitmatal, India. And in Bitmatal, India, there is a... It's over... It's weird because they keep referring it as a high school, but the girl's in seventh grade. But apparently, they call them high schools over there. The girl's only in the seventh grade. She's sitting in class. It's January 31st. And everyone's just kind of chilling. I guess they're actually learning, paying attention to the teacher. See, I didn't do that in school. I was the cool kid who sat in the back. Did none of that learning. So anyways, sitting in the back of class. Oh, no, no, she wasn't like me. She was sitting somewhere in class. And everyone's reading or doing whatever you do during school. It's been so long and I didn't do it back then either. She, I'll tell you a story someday about how I made a teacher go to a mental asylum. That's a true story. I didn't force her with like a pitchfork, like... I tormented her so much she ended up going to, maybe not a mental asylum, but she definitely had a nervous breakdown. So I will tell that story some other time. Anyways, so (laughs) aside from that interesting personal story, let's talk about this more interesting story. So this young girl's sitting in class, and all of a sudden, like to snap everyone out of a daze, she leaps up out of her desk and starts shouting at the top of her lungs. Now, that would have to be, obviously, when you're in classroom, people are generally talking at a conversational level. In general, only one person is. So to have someone jump up behind you and start yelling is absolutely shocking. Everyone turns around and they're watching this 7th grade girl. And I'm not going to imitate her yelling because a lot of people listen to this with headphones on or while they're sleeping. She's yelling and everyone's like, oh my god. So they kind of start like moving away from her. And at that point, she picks up her chair and starts smashing it into the floor until it breaks. And then she goes to grab another chair. At this point, people are really concerned because she's not responding to anything. A couple of her friends are like, calm down, calm down. They go, they grab her some water, which is usually, yeah, that's what you do when someone's rampaging, screaming, jumping around, destroying your classroom. You're like, you know what? Maybe you're just parched. Maybe you need a little bit of the agua. So they go to give her water, and she's not getting the water. But what happens is these five girls are trying to console her, and then they start going, (laughs) and yell. So now you have multiple girls yelling in this classroom. And 
Over the course of the next four days, the original girl and the other five girls who, like, went towards her while she was having this fit are getting progressively worse. They're just completely flipping out. I'm sure it's not like they left them in the classroom for five days. I'm sure at some point the principal's like, get them out of here. So they're, like, riding the bus home. They're, like, tearing the bus up. They get out of the bus. They're, like, destroying the bus stop. They're, like, destroying hedges and stuff like that. Just screaming the whole way home. Didn't call the parents. Didn't let them know what's happening. Girl just gets off the bus, walks home. The mom's like, how was your day at school? Oh, smashing a recliner. The mom's like, oh, one of those days. I remember high school. So anyways, the five girls are just flipping out. And over the, within seven days, an additional 14 girls have come down with this mystery affliction. Nobody knows what it is. Obviously, people have some theories so there's basically three possible scenarios. As they're looking at this, this has gone on now for about a week. You have 19 girls flipping out. You have three possibilities. One, they're all faking it. It's some sort of elaborate joke, which honestly is quite funny. But it could just be a joke. Secondly, mass hysteria, mass delusion. Or third, demonic possession. So those are basically the three scenarios they're looking at. You have these 19 girls who are out of control. What's weird is that the principal is pretty on point with this thing. The principal gives a quote to the newspaper. This is the quote. A class 7, which is grade 7, a class 7 student. This is what the principal of the school said to the newspaper. A class 7 student was possessed last Thursday and started doing bizarre activities like breaking chairs and shouting loudly. What? That's your quote? You're like, oh, yeah, so sorry about that. Demonic possession. We're working on it. They send a note home with their parents. They're like, if your child exhibits, if your child starts destroying your furniture, please let us know. We will take partial responsibility for that. And we are going to have a priest show up and start blessing our school. Now, in India, they have a specific type of priest called, this is a pretty dope name for a priest, a jag, a jagar, a jagaraya, jagaraya. So it kind of sounds like a jaguar, jaguaraya. Anyways, and they perform a particular form, a ritual called the jagar. It actually doesn't sound good. It sounds like jack off, but I'll just, the, the jaguar, whatever. The jaguar show, shows up, this giant half man, half cat shows up at the school. And he goes, okay, I'm going to bless this classroom, this grade seven classroom. Because that's where I, I think it started with this girl, but I think the girl got it from this classroom. So he does the ritual. And it's totally fine. But he also says the grade 8 classroom is off as well. So let's be preemptive here. We're going to go to grade 8 classroom and ward off all the spirits there. Now they actually, because this is all fairly recent, they actually had to put like some blessing item in the grade 7 classroom. And the grade 8 classroom apparently was so bad, even though nothing had happened yet, they had to move the entire grade 8 class to another wing of the school. Because that one was just soaked in demonic stuff, according to the Jaguar. So, anyways, the principal goes... The principal's like ten toes deep in this possession stuff. Like, obviously, he's, he's mentioned it to a reporter, and he's the one who brought the priest in. And he goes, I have a question for you, though. Why is it... Why are you called a Jaguar? Because like, I'm not called a Jaguar. There's a mispronunciation. The principal's like, okay. Second question. Why, why would these girls get possessed? Like, what happened that can make a possession happen here? And the Jaguar says, you know what, here's the thing. It could be something, like, sometimes spirits lie dormant for up to 20 years. So it's not like one of the girls brought it in, or something, like some traumatic event happened a couple nights ago, like someone was murdered or raped, or any horrible thing happened, and then the spirit just happened to latch on to this girl. 
Oh, I should say that after the Jaguar showed up, the girls were totally fine. I totally forgot about that part. So all the girls are, he's not just asking these questions, doing this backstory as these girls are jumping around in the background. They've all been cured. When the Jaguar guy showed up, they all got cured. But anyways, he's back to our, back to our backstory here. He's telling the priest, he goes, a demon or a ghost can be here. Could have something bad could happen here 20 years ago. And the ghost, it took that long for the ghost to be activated. So that's that, right? Well, you would think so, because the girls are doing fine, and the place is warded off now from evil. But like you would guess, like I know a lot of skeptics listen to this show. I think most of my listeners are kind of where I'm at, where you're skeptical, but you want to believe in this stuff, and you just can't accept it in in whole cloth, because you know most of it's lunacy. So when you hear a story like this, you're like, it could be a demon, maybe. Because you want to believe in that stuff like I do. But the skeptical side of you says it probably wasn't. It was most likely something else. Well, you have this principal going around telling the newspaper that a girl got possessed. But don't worry, they brought in this spiritual healer. And don't worry about your kids. We moved them to another wing. The school board or the equivalent of the school board in India is not happy with this principal right now. They're like, first off, nobody was possessed. So you can't go around telling newspapers people were possessed. Secondly... Demons aren't real. Like, you can't, like, you can't make statements like that. You can't bring... The principal was like, hey, man, I got the problem solved. Like, whether or not you believed in it, I brought in this holy leader, and he did this ritual, and the girls aren't freaking out anymore. And the school board's basically like, it's not the point. Like, we don't know what caused this. It could have been a whole host of mental issues or chemical leak or whatever. And the fact that it stopped when this guy showed up doesn't prove that it was a demon. It proves that whatever was causing it stopped causing it. So he's like basically like, I don't think he was fired, but he definitely was being looked at with a very, very critical eye after this. Because you have a school administrator who's supposed to be teaching, supposed to be in charge of people's education, having stone age beliefs like having the belief and more like middle ages beliefs but you you get where i'm going like you have someone who's in charge of educating the next generation of indian children being like spooky ghosts look out guys something's going to get you you'd be sitting in your class and demon gets you i don't know but i'll get this guy he has our back like then and the school board is like you can't talk about that stuff but the end result is everything's fine now i mean that guy might be hanging on his job by a thread but Everything's fine now, the kids are fine, the school has been blessed, and so on and so forth. But you have these young women who, you have this young woman who starts acting uncontrollably, and then when others show up to help her, it spread to them. It didn't spread to all the girls in the classroom. The other 14 girls, apparently, from what I can gather, were also interacting with those original five. This with those original six, the first girl and then the five, and then it spread to 14 other girls who were also interacting with them, almost like some sort of virus. So other girls in the classroom weren't coming down with it. It was all being connected to patient zero. So if this was a demonic activity, this was basically a low-level rage virus. These girls became uncontrollable and violent very, very quickly. And they did say, the, the Jaguar said, this only would have gotten worse. This only would have gotten worse if I didn't come in. So you have to wonder what would have happened if the skeptics in the community, the school board was like, nope, they're just acting. It's just made up. It's just mass hysteria. Let's send them to a mental institution. Let's send them somewhere else. Let's suspend them. They're just doing this thing. It has nothing to do with demons. 
you had these 19 girls sent away to different asylums or sent away to different psychiatrists or sent away just to stay at home. And would you have seen this thing spread as more and more women, nurses and doctors and mental health workers and mothers and sisters, interacted with these girls for periods of time? Would you have seen this thing spread throughout India? Unlikely? Maybe. But we don't know. We really don't know what caused it or how it ended. But if it was demonic, it could have been the start of some sort of female rage virus where no one would be safe. Well, at least no one's furniture would ever be safe across the planet. But let's go ahead and move on to our next story here. Now, our next story is one of those stories that I heard about years ago, and it's always kind of stuck with me. It's always kind of stuck with me. I find it a very intriguing story of how quickly things in your life can go wrong. And you're thinking, Jason, I know how bad things can get in life. I've, you know, been dumped by my girlfriend and I got yelled at by my boss and I didn't do good on a test in school and that I know how quickly. But those tend to happen because things are out of our control. The story I'm going to tell you now is fascinating because we're going to follow a group of people who over the course of about 18 days make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision and how everything ends up playing out. Very, very fascinating story. On April 12th, 1996, we are in Fort Myers, Florida. 1996, I'd graduated in 1994. Music was awesome. Britney Spears was topping the charts, or maybe not. But she was around. She existed in 94. She still exists now. But pop, anyways, music was cool. Sega Genesis rocked the world. The Dreamcast disaster was a few years away. And actually, that's going to play a part in the story, oddly enough. I was just trying to build a pop culture landscape, but that actually is important. So, in Fort Myers, Florida, in 1996, you had three friends. They were outsiders, they were loners, they were considered losers, but they were considered losers by the main populace of school. Among their own subculture of the hardcore, like, gothic kids who, like, listen to metal. And I know goths don't listen to metal, but I'm trying to describe it how a jock would look at these guys. These guys are total losers. But in their own, like, subculture, their own dark, twisted subculture, they were the leaders. So you had Kevin Foster, and then you had his two cronies, Pete and Chris. And Kevin basically ran the show with these guys. He was the cool one. He was the one who took charge. He was the one who didn't let anyone push him around. I was not one of these guys, but when I was reading their story, and like I said, I read it years and years ago, there's a lot of elements that were very familiar to me. Just hanging out with your buddies, going to Denny's, going to any restaurant that was open 24 hours a day, talking about girls, talking about video games, talking about life and all like the, how philosophizing you are, even though you're only like 17 or 18 years old, you got it all figured out, you know everything, and sitting, staying up late at night watching movies, watching MTV, playing video games, hanging out with your bros, and you wanted to do two things. You wanted to be a crew, you wanted to hang out with your buddies, and you wanted to leave your mark on the world. As we grow older, you want to hang out with your buddies, you still want it, but you start to realize that there are, most people don't leave their mark on the world, and sometimes just being a good citizen in your area is mark enough. Your legacy is how the lives you affect around you, in a good way. 
I've known a lot of people who were involved in gang activity, who did a lot of illegal stuff, now have wives and kids, own their own business, or a very successful employee for somebody else's business, and their legacy is that now they are good people. As you get older, you realize those things. But back when you're still in high school, you're still thinking, you know, you can blaze a burn trail across the world. Everyone will remember your name. This is pre-Columbine, too. This story is pre-Columbine. So they didn't have any of these school shoot. If this story took place after Columbine, there's no doubt in my mind these guys would have attacked their high school. But let's go ahead and get into it. So Kevin comes up. These guys have been friends for a while. Kevin comes up with the idea that we don't have to just be friends. <laughs> the two guys are like, wait, well, where are you going with this? Kevin's like, no, I'm not going that way with it. But we hang out all the time. The jocks hate us. The preps hate us. The mimes hate us. Every other clique in school hates us. But we are gods. And actually, I'm going to give myself a new name. My new name is God. That's my gang name. And they're like, gang name? When did we become a gang? And on April 12th, 1996, Kevin Foster said, Tonight, we're no longer just a group of friends hanging out. We are the Lords of Chaos. They ended up recruiting two other dudes. So at this point, you have five guys in the Lords of Chaos. But the three main members are Kevin, Pete, and Chris. And what they start off by doing is, we got a name called Lords of Chaos. We got to live up to that name. Even though nobody else knew of this group existing that night, they're like, we have to live up to this name we just made up. Their symbol was, this is very complicated for me to describe because I'm not a mathematician, but you may know exactly what it is. Kevin ended up getting a question wrong on a math test because he put the null symbol or something. It's a symbol that means nothing. And it's two sets of parentheses, and in the middle is the null symbol. So it's a zero with a line through it. So that was their logo. Two sets of parentheses and this logo, this null symbol. And that was cool enough to start to get other outsiders interested. They ended up getting, so they had the three original guys. They ended up recruiting up to five more guys. But each time another person came in, they were considered less and they're more of a hanger on in the group. They start off by just vandalizing stuff. They go out and start knocking over mailboxes, painting on stuff, basically just being a nuisance. Then, and you're like, oh yeah, dude, these kids are kind of cool. They're sticking it to the man. Hold up. They end up trying to set a church bus on fire, and that doesn't work. But they do, I have no idea how they came across this. They find a birdcage containing two macaws. They set it on fire. And one of them died. One of them burned up. I have no idea how the other one... The other one is just like huddled in the back of the cage. It's the first... I, that, that was a gruesome image, but I'm just trying to figure out how a two bird... It, there's two birds in a cage. How one even survived that? Grace of God? I don't know. But that, that crime spree takes place between April 12th and April 17th. So these guys aren't wasting any time. Within five days, they're setting stuff on fire. They're spray painting stuff. They're knocking stuff over. And generally, I mean, obviously, it's not like vandals have a timetable, but that seems a quick amount of time between a gang being formed to the point where they're burning living creatures. Very, very quick escalation. In that time period, a local newspaper, these guys create so much chaos so quickly that a local newspaper writes an article about them. So this is great. Kevin's loving this stuff. He has got the attention of the normies. And in this article, though, they are they, they don't know who the vandals are. They don't know who's setting stuff on fire. They just know that this bird got cooked and there's this vandalism around this church buzz. All this stuff's being attacked around Fort Myers. Seems completely random, but petty. In the newspaper, 
They're called, obvi- quote, obviously pea-brained vandals and, quote, persons of less than average intelligence and a Cretan's personality. So to someone like Kevin, who named himself God, who considers himself this arch enemy of, like, good things and order, again, preceding Heath Ledger's Joker, this guy is... I can't imagine how off the rocker he would be post-Columbine, post-Heath Ledger's Joker. I think he would have gone ten times worse than we're going with this. But when he sees the newspaper responding to his violent acts, he's like, yes! But then when he reads how stupid they think he is, all those insults he got throughout high school are coming back. I think at this point he's 19. I believe at this point he's graduated high school, but his cronies are still in high school. April 17th, he writes a manifesto. He writes a manifesto called Declaration of War, a formal introduction of Lords of Chaos. Talk about some edgelord nonsense. Like, obviously, these guys are just so full of themselves. So this is what the manifesto said. This is part of it. Lee County, that's the county that Fort Myers is in. I hear I'll read it in Kevin's voice. How I imagine Kevin's voice to be. Lee County is dealing with a formidable foe. With high-caliber intelligence, balls of titanium alloy, and a wicked, destructive streak. Be prepared for destruction of biblical proportions. For this is the coming of a new god, whose fiery hand shall lay waste to the populace. The games have just begun, and terror shall ensue. So... Obviously, this guy's completely delusional, but I'm sure when he was writing this, he thought it was the most badass thing possible. Like, if a movie villain said those lines in... If Thanos talked like that, you'd roll your eyes. You'd be like, oh my god. When did Thanos start cutting himself? Because that's really just such edgy, hot topic nonsense. But he writes this, him and his guys think this is totally badass, dude. And they end up not even sending it. Three days later, April 20th. Now, he wanted to show, Kevin came up with this idea. He goes, you know what? Lords of Chaos are ready to declare war. I know we wrote that declaration and didn't send it to anyone, but that doesn't matter. War has still been declared. And in solidarity with Waco and the Oklahoma City bombing, see, these were their inspirations. Let's blow something up. We're going to do this in solidarity with them. Now, both of those events happened on April 19th. So they were a day late, but he still, the, the spirit was there. I was there with you in spirit, David Koresh. I was there in you in spirit, Timothy McVeigh. So, and his co-conspirators who, they, I, Oklahoma City bombing is one of those conspiracy theories that I don't think it was just those two guys. Who was it? Timothy McVeigh and uh, Nichols, I think was the other dude. I think there were other people involved in that. That's a, I, I actually should cover that. Oklahoma City bombing is actually one of those conspiracy theories, I think, is a bigger conspiracy. I personally believe that Al-Qaeda was involved in that. We'll talk about that on a later episode. But anyways, it's, yeah, it's very interesting topic, actually. But again, back to this interesting topic as well. I, I love this story. This story stuck with me for years. They actually find in their area, there is a Coca-Cola bottling plant, which was named like a historic landmark. It was no longer in operation. These teenagers bring in, I, admittedly, this this part's funny. They bring in all of these propane tanks and set them up around this abandoned factory, and the fuse is a Pepsi can. And I'm like, okay, I gotta give credit where credit's due. Blowing up a Coca-Cola plant with a Pepsi can, it was they just didn't roll a Pepsi can in there and it exploded. Like, they packed it full of gunpowder and put the wick in and all that stuff, but that was the fuse. And these kids actually pull it off. The bomb rips through the abandoned factory on the night of April 20th, 
And it does $100,000 worth in damage. And that's $100,000 in 1996. That's a lot of money. It's probably like $200,000. It's not a ton of money, but it's a lot of money for a group of idiot kids to do. You have these eight kids. And really, it was just the three at this point doing this. I I think there were two hanger-ons at this point. The other three were at home playing Sega Genesis. But they were still considered members of the Lords of Chaos. So they still reveled in this act of destruction. At this point, cops are totally looking for these guys. The vandalism, kind of looking for them. The arson, you had arson investigators looking for them. But when they blew up, the police are figuring out that this is most likely connected. Police are out in full force looking for these guys. And still, six days later, one of the Lords of Chaos says, I don't like this guy that I work with, so let's carjack him. So we're seeing this level of... You have, the again, one of the other fascinating things about the story is you have basically this, I think you can see where this story is going. You have this ramp up that we usually see take years, take place in a matter of weeks, of days. Vandalism to arson to killing a living thing to blowing up an empty building. That's enough escalation there. Now they're sticking guns in people's faces and dragging them out of cars. The level of violence is raising. This organization was just formed on April 12th. 14 days later, they're sticking a gun in someone's face. Get out of your car. April 30th. April 30th, 1996. The grad night is coming up. And grad night's at Disney World, which is one of the great things about going to a school around a theme park is your grad nights are probably always going to be awesome. And Kevin comes up with an idea. We are all going to crash grad night, but we got to have nice clothes to do it. We can't be wearing these grungy clothes with all this, like, dark imagery and stuff like that, all these chains. Let's get some nice clothes. We'll sneak into grad night. And the other guys are like, we can just buy tickets. He goes, you guys just buy tickets if you're actually graduating this year. I already graduated. So I'm going to go with you. We're going to sneak into the grad night. Then I'm going to steal a Disney character's costume. Again, super elaborate Joker level stuff. I'm going to steal a Disney character's costume come in with a shotgun, a couple of firearms, and I'm going to shoot every minority that I see. That was his end game, which would have been absolutely shocking if he could have pulled it off, obviously. That would have been horrible. A guy in a Mickey Mouse costume running around just blowing minorities away would have totally changed a lot of things in 1996. It would change stuff now, but we've had so many mass shootings that unfortunately we've started to be like, blah. But in 1996, it would have been a brand new phenomenon. And adding in the theatrics to it would have just shocked people. Obviously, they weren't able to get away with it. Because what happens was they couldn't even steal the clothes. So you have these guys that are actually pretty good at committing violence, but all other crimes they suck at. They got a smoke grenade from an army surplus store. They went into a retail store to get some clothes, pulled the pin on the grenade, chucked it, they didn't go off, so they didn't have the smoke cover, so they weren't able to crash Gradnate, thankfully. But what they do is they can't steal the clothes. So they say, you know what we should do? Let's just go to the high school and just trash it. Let's trash the high school. So they break into the high school, and they tried starting a fire. Didn't work. They're, they're pretty 50-50 on their stuff. They do end up stealing some stuff from the high school. This is, a, this is something only high schoolers steal, because they want to have the thrill of the still. Uh, latex gloves, uh, you can't buy those. 
a fire extinguisher, two staplers, and a bag of canned peaches. So I'm imagining it's just a bag with a bunch of canned peaches in it, because otherwise that's kind of an oxymoron, a bag of canned peaches. But they successfully steal this stuff. Well, they get it out of the building it was in. They come outside, and right then, as they're standing outside the school, their band director, Mark Schwebs, pulls up in his car. And he's like, what are you guys doing here? It's late at night. We don't have class. You're not in the band. I, I recognize you two. He didn't recognize Kevin. He didn't recognize he didn't recognize Peter Chris, but he recognized two of the other Lords of Chaos. And he says, I recognize you guys. And I don't know what you guys went up to, but I know those aren't your canned peaches. So he takes the peaches and the fire extinguisher, and Mark Schwebs turns to them and says, You two that I recognize, again, I don't know you guys. You guys aren't giving me your names, but you two expect a call from the police tomorrow. He throws the stuff in his car and drives away. Now, Mark Schwebs is a young man. He's 32, 32 years old. He's a band director. And he's not thinking anything of it. Some hooligan kids broke into the school. He didn't know they started fire, had no idea who these guys were. Just recognized two of them from school. But as he's driving away, Kevin looks at him and says, someone's got to die tonight. They go to the house. They find His name is unlisted, but they're able to find him his address in a phone book or some sort of phone directory. They go to his house, and Kevin has a shotgun. And you have three kids who show up at the shooting. One's is driving. One's job is to knock on the door, and Kevin is going to shoot him. And it's late at night, and Mark Schwebs hears a knock. He comes to the door, and right when the door opens, gets shot right in the face with a shotgun, killed instantly. Oddly enough, and actually this kind of ended up helping Kevin get away for a bit, He ends up rolling the body over and shooting Kevin in the butt, in the butthole. And there was a rumor that Mark was gay. He wasn't, but there was a rumor at school that Mark was gay. And there was a rumor at school that Mark was caught in some sort of love triangle. So the kids leave, and when the cops show up, they see a man who was killed instantly with a shotgun blast. And the shotgun blow to his butt, to his bottom, made them think it had something to do, because they didn't immediately go, hey, it's that gay teacher, and the other guy's like, oh no, it's just rumor. They start investigating it, trying to figure out what happened, and people are like, well, maybe it was a love triangle, you know, I think he was gay, and another person's like, no, he's not gay. So the cops actually thought, because that second wound seemed so like a sexual revenge move, the cops started looking at adult suspects. And it's possible, it's unlikely, but it's they definitely would have gotten away with it longer, But the Lords of Chaos do what most teenage criminals do, is they start talking. And more specifically, someone who wasn't even there that night, who was one of the low-level hanger-ons, told his girlfriend, oh yeah, I know what happened to Mark, I was there that night. I was the one who knocked on the door, and just bam, got his head blowing off, man. And then bam, right in his butthole. Isn't that dope, girlfriend? And the girlfriend goes, yeah, that's totally awesome. You know what? I'm going to go home now. She goes home. She goes to sleep. She wakes up the next morning and calls the cops. The cops go talk to the kid. They quickly find out he wasn't there. And within days of that, the kids are all getting round up. Now, there was the three original and there was five hanger-ons. Now, all of them end up getting arrested for things like conspiracy or vandalism. They didn't, that was when they finally were able to prove that the Lords of Chaos blew up the Coke factory. They kind of had their suspicions, but they weren't 100%. But the three main ones, Pete and Kevin and Chris, are all getting charged with murder. The lower level Lords of Chaos 
begin ratting everybody out, testifying against them in court. Chris and Pete take plea deals. Everyone ends up taking plea deals except for Kevin. Pete and Chris get life in prison. And Kevin goes to trial and he gets sentenced to death for this crime. April 12th, this Lords of Chaos gang starts on May 2nd is when they get ar- when their crimes are exposed and they get arrested. One of the reasons why this story stuck with me so much, and we're going to wrap it up with this, but one of the reasons why this story struck me so much is, one, it's so relatable. Being an outsider, having your own little group where you guys are the cool ones and the rest of them are the normal. I was all like that in high school and stuff like that. I totally related to these guys. And it's blow stuff up. I wasn't killing cats or macaws or whatever. I wasn't doing any of that stuff. But I get the feeling that you're on the outside and it's you against the world. So I totally empathized with that beginning of it. I didn't empathize with any of their actions. They're complete idiots. Secondly, I don't remember which one it was and I didn't have time to research it, but it's kind of, it doesn't matter. It was either Chris or Pete. One of the guys who wasn't the main driving force, he was just along for the ride. Ended up getting life. Like the guy driving the car. He didn't pull the trigger, but if you're a part of a felony, you get the murder charge. I remember reading at the end of the book, He said, the only thing I ever wanted to do, and I'm paraphrasing here, but the only thing that I really loved before I got involved in Lords of Chaos was playing video games. And I don't get to play video games anymore. And I thought, you're damn right. You are damn right. You traded that privilege away when you got involved with these knuckleheads. And I know how quickly that can escalate, where it starts off, you're just a bunch of outsiders smoking clove cigarettes, talking about how the man doesn't understand you. And I know how quickly, under the wrong influence, I don't think Chris or Pete, if they were involved in any other group, would have done these actions. I think that Kevin was responsible for being that guiding force. Otherwise, they just would have been cool kids, quote-unquote, cool kids hanging with the group at Denny's. I don't think Chris or Pete were necessarily evil, but they got swept up in the evil. They got swept up in the evil unbelievably fast because they wanted to belong to something so badly In the end, they didn't care what it was. Some kids, it's track and field team. Some kids, it's chess club. Some kids, it's acting. These guys didn't want to do any of that stuff. And and, and in an alternate world, that kid who loved video games is serving life in prison. That's our world. In an alternate world, that kid's playing Spider-Man for the PS4. That kid has his own kids, and he's watching his son play Breath of the Wild on Switch. And he's reading, he's watching YouTube coverage of E3 and all that stuff. And he traded all of that stuff up all of that stuff to be part of a group that in the end didn't care about him, that in the end he was just a getaway driver, he was just a foot soldier, he was just somebody in this group. He traded away a lifetime of what he loved for fighting against what he hated, or thought he hated, for just under three weeks. It's very, very easy to get caught up in the darkness And when it latches onto you, it's very, very hard to get it off. But at any point, any one of these Lords of Chaos, outside of Kevin, any one of these kids could have told Kevin, you know what, I'm done, walked away, and forged a new path in life. They didn't. They supported Kevin in his murderous act. And their lives are over. I've always found that story fascinating because it is so relatable. It is very, very easy to pick the wrong group to be in. But even if you do, you have to have the knowledge. It's time to get out. They had until that knock on that door to walk away. 
deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.